Hey listeners, Dennis Wisco here. I want to thank the new listeners that are coming on board. I hope you stay a while. I got lots of great content coming to you from some great guests. We will either dive into transportation policy, we might dive into data science and the car buying experience. There's lots of things on here. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm trying to present to you cases, business models essentially, on how you may want to get involved in the automotive and transportation space. Certainly with this type of economic crisis and the ensuing recovery, there's gonna be lots of opportunities for you to make a buck or two if you're listening to the right people, if you're following the right companies, if you're analyzing the correct models and why a model works in one case and doesn't work in another. And that actually leads me into this particular episode where you can just characterize this episode as a fireside chat, really. My guest, Mike Cavanaugh, was on the show about a year or two ago, and now we get to reconnect. And we start to talk about the Carvana business model. And we also talk about the psychology of seniors that are buying and driving cars. And we kind of fuse that all together. So again, a fireside chat with Mike Cavanaugh. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. But before we get there, Well, listeners, I want to thank my media partners, Co-Motion Miami. They just hosted uh, their virtual event, and I got to say bravo to them. There were some glitches. There were some technical difficulties, but this is the new world that we will now all be attending virtual conferences to learn and to grow, and they certainly were the first ones that I know of that we're able to put on such an event. It takes a lot of courage to do that and kudos to them for pulling it off. And I look forward to more things that they will be doing and I will be able to share with you. So that is Co-Motion Miami. I also want to thank Automotive Mastermind. Automotive Mastermind is the leading predictive analytics and marketing automation company. Since they are a subset of IHS market, you can indeed be certain that the things that they do, their operation is entirely driven by data. And that's why I'm happy that they are a proud supporter of Wisco Weekly. And lastly, want to recognize and thank Thought Leadership Summit. Thought Leadership Summit is having their upcoming virtual conference occurring July 28th, July 30th, and August 4th. Listeners of the show can get 20% off by using the discount code WISCO20 or WISCO20. You can visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash TLS for more information. They're slowly releasing their agenda and some of the topics that they're covering include excelling in an experience economy, how important are manners, to our collective happiness, relationships, and business. It's kind of an interesting topic there. I think that's a bit of a throwback, but certainly manners are necessary, especially in this day and time. It's like we've lost what manners are, so it'll be good to revisit that. 
Other topics include customer first digital transformation. You have ex exceeding the customer experience ex expectations in the fast changing car buying landscape. So that's just a preview of the topics that are discussed at this particular virtual conference. Visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash TLS for more information and to get the discount code. Or you can register directly at tlsummits.com. And again, use Wisco20 for 20% off admission. Now, I do have a promotion for you for those that want to attend Thought Leadership Summits on me. I have four free tickets to give away. In order to qualify for these tickets, you need to send in a video of yourself in, in as creative a manner, in as unique, different, different could be a very monotonous video. It doesn't matter. I want you to send me a video where you are getting your favorite beverage and you are toasting to the customer experience. Record your video, send it to me, send it to infotainment at whiskoweeklypod.com infotainment at whiskoweeklypod.com you can check out the episode page for the email send in a video of you toasting your favorite beverage to the customer experience and you will the first four people to do so will qualify for the four tickets now let's get into the show You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Mabuhai, bienvenidos, vitae, and welcome to Wisco Weekly. Listeners, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the show. You are tuned into the podcast that is exploring the new business models for the mobility of people and goods. And I'll tell you what, this topic could not be more prevalent than it is today. Uh, I'm in a virtual conference yesterday and today, June 30th and July 1st of Comotion Miami, and they have some very interesting discussions going on there. And I will say that when it comes down to the future of your mobility, if it's moving yourself or if it's moving goods, city agencies, state agencies, they don't really have the answers and they're not as motivated to come up with some solutions as pre-COVID. And one of the things that I've talked about on the show many a times, be it if it was with uh, Boone Park and Fair, Dale Pollock, uh, the good folks at Automotive Mastermind, is used cars. Because as we see what's going on in today's society with the pandemic, with the protests, and what essentially will happen immediately once we do find the vaccine and once we do kind of settle down all the racial tensions, is people are are going to have to look at new ways of moving. And right now, it seems like with the public sector, transportation, mass transit, buses, trains, those are not going to see any great innovation because of budget cuts. So there's one particular area that can see this proliferation of use, and that is with used cars. So my guest today, I'm super stoked about because he's you could call him a friend now. I mean, we had already one recording, and I'll put that on the episode page, where we talked about leadership in the automotive space. And if I encourage you, if you're looking for leadership advice, 
visit that episode or, or listen to that episode and you will get and you will be motivated. My guest today is the executive vice president of Max Digital. One of the things that I absolutely love about this dude right here is that he is the David Goggins of the auto retail space. I mean, the guy he he'll uh, he's going to share with us more about this, but he's the guy that once the lockdowns were happening, I I was drinking. I was coping with lots of fatty foods and with some you know, copious amounts of alcohol. He did the exact opposite. And that's exactly who this gentleman is. And that's how he lives. He's, he's just a guy that is steady. He's super, super focused. So men, women, and children, please welcome to the show, my good friend, Mr. Mike Cavanaugh. How are you, sir? Good morning. Doing great. Well, Mike, uh, again, we've we've got to see each other a few times now, um, and certainly as as we have known each other for, I think it's close to maybe two years, or I don't know when we, I don't know, I don't remember the the last date uh, when we did that first recording when we first met, but I've been following you for some time now. I know that you're heavily involved professionally in the automotive space, but I know personally you absolutely love your health. I guess let's start off with first off when the lockdowns happened, what were you doing? You know, give me like a, a, what were you doing before? What was your training regiment before COVID or before the lockdowns? And then during this, you know, lockdowns, the pseudo lockdown. Now what's your training regiment like now? Yeah. Uh, great, great question. Something I'm very passionate about. Um, so I have always been pretty big into, into health and fitness. You know, I've done everything from, training for martial arts and, and running in races and all that kind of stuff as well. But um, I, I was on a pretty, pretty steady um, workout regimen prior to COVID. Um, however, I, uh, I, I don't drink anymore. And when I stopped drinking, I, I picked up an affliction for sweets. So I will say my one guilty pleasure is sweets. I do like sweets quite a bit, uh, but that can catch up to you pretty quickly as well. So um Right before COVID started, and this is really coincidentally this happened, I picked up on a program called 75 Hard. And this program uh, is essentially kind of a couple core aspects of what you need to do. And it is you have to work out twice a day for 45 minutes each. And this is not just a fitness program. It's a mental toughness, really discipline program as well. So the reason you have to do two separate workouts is because it's supposed to be inconvenient. It's supposed to be hard. It's not just get up extra early and do one 90 minute workout. It's two separate workouts, right? So I, I, I had to do two separate workouts. I had to drink a gallon of water a day, which that doesn't sound hard until you have to drink a gallon of water every single day. Yeah. And, and that becomes hard. You have to track it and you have to make sure that you do it every day. Um, no alcohol for the whole time, which wasn't hard for me, but for other folks on the program that can tend to be a little bit more challenging. Um, and you have to read um, a business book or a self-improvement book, at least 10 pages every single day. And again, for some people, that doesn't seem like that hard. Some people might say, hey, I read 20 pages a day. That's no big deal. For some people, they may not have picked up a book for five years. Um, And that's a really hard aspect of the program. And then the other piece is that you have to be on a diet. Now, you get to choose what that diet is. Mine was, you know, completely cutting out sweets and any kind of sugar like that. Um, And it's for 75 days straight. No cheat days, no days off, no down days, no half days. And if you fail on any aspect of that, if you have, you know, one drink short of a gallon, you have to start back at day one all over oh. again. Um, 
So it's, 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 you know, there's really a, an honor system on this to yourself because if you make it through and you have that discipline, you know, you, you really feel accomplished when you're done. And, and I just put a, a friend of mine from a company, Autofy, Joe St. John, super cool guy. If you never had a chance to talk to him, great guy to talk to you too. He's a week away from finishing it himself. And he said it's changed his life. So it's something I'd recommend for everybody is to get on this program. So I leaned up uh, probably about 12 pounds uh, going through this program, which I, I wasn't super overweight or anything at the time. Right. Yeah. But I leaned up quite a bit. But what I found when all of this crazy stuff is going on in your point, you know, most everybody, you know, started to pick up a little bit extra drinking habit through the, through the, uh, the period. You know, when I go for a run around the neighborhood, you check out the recycling bins and you can see a couple, a uh, couple extra bottles of wine in there, a couple extra uh, cases of beer, maybe in the recycling bin. So it kept me really disciplined with and focused on accomplishing a goal and not focused on kind of some of the noise and the stuff that really is out of our control, right? You know, you can wash your hands, you can wear a mask, do all this, but you can't control what's happening outside of your own, your own realm, so to speak. So it kept me focused on this thing singularly. And what, what happened with that mental discipline and physical discipline throughout this is it kept me focused on, on work and really driving towards a goal as well. And as an organization, as a company, you know, we saw a much better Q2 than we expected to have. And I think a lot of folks did, but I think personally, a lot of my, you know, focus helped me become more successful at, at work as well throughout this process. You know, did you, do you use any supplements for this training? I mean, uh, not, and it, obviously the, the physical part isn't as daunting, but now that when you're also compounding that you have to read and you have to be on this diet, uh, you know, that does require significant brain power and, 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 you know, other muscular power. Were there any supplements that you were using during this process also? Yeah, good question. So, you know, throughout my life, you know, I've, I've been big into fitness for you know over 20 years and I've, I've tried different, different supplements over time. And what I found kind of what works for me personally um, is really a, a good dose of several different vitamins. And there's uh, one pack that I use. It's from a company called First Form, uh, mm -hmm. First P-H-O-R-M. And it's called Microfactor. Um, and it's like, uh, I, I get it on a subscription and it's about two bucks a day, but you've got, you know, 10 different vitamins in there and it helps everything from, you know, mental health to, to your physical health as well, joint health. And, it, and it's worked really well. I noticed a tremendous difference when I don't take those for two days, I forget. Um, I could drink as much coffee as I want and I don't have the same level of energy. And I, I'm a guy that I typically get up, you know, 445, 530 is a late day. Um, so I, I'm an early riser, so I need that energy to kind of power me through the rest of the day, and uh, it totally helps. Are you familiar with nootropics? I've heard of that before, yeah. Have you have you engaged in nootropics? I have not yet. No, yeah, I don't. I don't see you engaging in nootropics. I no. I'm I'm toying with the idea of using nicotine gum. Are you familiar with nicotine gum? Absolutely. So it's it's interesting. I mean, there's one gentleman that uh, I listen to his podcast regularly. It's uh, Dave Asprey and Bulletproof Radio, and you know he he's he's a guy that I would take what he says to be a very very credible source. 
And understanding that on one side of the nicotine debate is the association towards cigarettes and all the bad things that are associated with cigarettes. But if you isolate just the nicotine and the pharmaceutical grade nicotine, then it does have very much, uh, you know, a lot of benefits for cognitive development. And for me, like I'm, I'm actually very worried right now at the age of 40 of how my body and my mind is aging. And so like even, you know, when I think about uh, the, the things that I'm doing right now to work out, I'm doing workouts that are very uh, focused on reflexes. So as to uh, reflexes and also mental acuity. So like I have the, one of those like uh, ladders for, you know, like as football players and soccer players use just to do those kinds of quick drills. Now, <laughs> by any stretch, I am not quick at that ladder drill anymore. Not at the age of 40, my friend. And then the, it, it gets embarrassing as you get older. Oh, you my realize God. how slow you are. And Mike, let me tell you something, my friend. You know, I played basketball when I was very young, and my greatest strength was being quick. So now I'm doing these little foot drills. Like I'm like, holy cow! I can't believe it's taking me. I'm like having to baby step all these drills and start off very slow, and then work my way up. But to that end, let's start to pivot into some more of the professional topics here now. Where one of the things that you and I are involved in in this space in automotive, but specifically, we have a very strong interest in the used car market. Um, I tend to look at the used car market in more or less two ways. One is if if we are to argue the sustainable aspect of the automotive and transportation space, Putting more cars on the roads and, and new cars on the roads is not going to help that cause. So we do have a, a vast amount of used cars in our space. I mean, I think there's about 270 million cars in the United States. And so a lot of that's going to be used cars. We know that, well, at least prior to 2019 or 2020, in 2019, there is always about 40 million used car sales. There are some big players now that are coming into the space. The one player that's kind of the, that they've been in the space now for, I don't know, 15, 20 years is CarMax. But the, a new contender is Carvana. Carvana, we'll get into this maybe a little bit later as we talk about this, but Carvana is a company that I've been bullish on for some time. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost glad that while I don't like to really have this attitude of I told you so to other people, it's kind of at that point where I told you so. Now, you may disagree with that, actually. And eventually, I might tell you I told you so. But what do you think about Carvana? So I've been a big fan of Carvana from, okay. from inception. You know, I, I was uh, previous to, to my role here. I was uh, the chief operating officer of a 28-store dealer group. And uh, really, five years ago, wanted to get more into this digital retailing space before it was a buzzword, before anybody knew about it. And I had bought several cars from Carvana um, at, at our organization through different people to see how the process worked. And it's evolved, you know, through, throughout time, obviously, like like any company would. Uh, but I've been a big fan of them. And I've, you know, publicly spoken to an admiration of them and their business model and what they do and, and been met with, you know, quite a bit of um, negativity because of it, because, you know, I, I'm a big psychology fan as well. And, you know, the, the opposite emotion um, of fear is anger, right? So when somebody fears somebody or something, they tend to lash out with anger towards it. And I think what happened with 
Um, Carvana in, in the industry as a whole is a lot of people were afraid that they were going to do what they're doing right now. They were going to disrupt the industry. They were going to take some used car sales volume away from a traditional dealer, provide a better customer experience than they were willing to provide at the time. And so they said, they'll never work. They'll never fail. Look at their financials, you know, but what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, when you're building, you're not trying to build one dealership and get them to be profitable in their one market. You're trying to grow a national brand. It requires tons of investment, right? And reinvestment. And as you get new capital, reinvesting it, right? And as you enter into new markets, I, I have been part of this myself. When we opened new markets at my, my previous company, you know, it required a ton of an investment and you weren't profitable for the first year in many cases because you had to build brand awareness. You had to, you know, educate the market on why you were different from everybody else. And especially, you know, with Carvana, with a totally different concept than what consumers were used to and didn't even know was possible in many cases. And still some folks don't know it's possible, believe it or not. Um, it, it's expensive to do that. And I think, you know, they've really been a trailblazer in this space for other companies, you know, there's a lot of talk right now, obviously with Bloom just going public and now Shift, the talks of, of Shift going that direction as well too, um, which I think, you know, we, we saw what happened with, with Bloom's IPO and how quickly they went up. And there's a lot of um, you know, positive vibes, so to speak now around Shift. So I think the industry as a whole has went from that, you know, fear and anger kind of stage with Carvana to, all right, these guys are onto something. How do we emulate this in our own way, in our own manner? And I guess it should also be clear, listeners, that every now and you know, I, I do trade and there are times where I do trade with Carvana right now. I'm not trading Carvana, but again, it could happen. Regardless, Carvana right now has a market cap of, I think it was like $20 billion or $21 billion. Vroom has a $6 billion market cap. Car Gurus has a $2 billion market cap. CarMax has a $14 billion car ma- uh, market uh, capitalization. So what these market caps are showing is, A, the viability, and B, how much of a big player Carvana is. Carvana with $21 billion in their market capitalization. The next level... Mike, for them to compete with in the likes of, you know, other profitable companies are your automakers. Ford is at a little over 30 billion. GM is 40. You know, Toyota, no one's going to touch Toyota, or at least Tesla is the only one that will touch Toyota. But Carvana is such a big player now that, and, and not only are they a big player, but they're also showing how they can conquer new markets that are in a state away from them there was the one case in pennsylvania where uh, i think it was he was a it was bob ruth ford and he was pretty vocal on linkedin i don't know if you follow him but i started coming yeah, upon uh, yeah i started coming upon his posts and how uh, you know with the uh, differentiation between essential and non-essential businesses his dealership could not sell cars but carvana located a state away was selling cars in his market you know, are, 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 are dealers going to adapt these new business models that will allow them to want to look to sell state to state? I think, I think eventually some will, you know, when you look at some of the large, you know, auto groups that are out there, especially, you know, the large public and, and privately held groups that have, you know, a hundred or more locations, I, I definitely think that they can compete at scale, um, you know, with, with somebody like a Carvana, um, it's, there's a couple things. There's pros and cons to Carvana's model. And I recently had a discussion online about this. 
as well as uh, is because people want want and need to service their vehicles as well. So the one missing aspect with, with you know buying a car from Carvana is the service aspect. Where do I get my car service? I either have to go to another franchise dealer, which then opens up for a conquest sale, right? They could say, wow, you know what? You actually have some equity in this car. Let's get you a new vehicle or let's get you another pre-owned vehicle. So it opens up for a conquest sale there, or they go to, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a Valvoline or a Goodyear or one of those type of, you know, service facilities as well to service your vehicle. So clearly it's, it's an opportunity they could get in at some point if they want to, but right now that's kind of a difference. When you look at, you know, the brand promise and the overall customer experience, not just the at the time of sale customer experience, but at the life cycle of ownership customer experience, I think there's some true competitive advantages that some of these dealer groups, especially these dealer groups with a large regional or national footprint, can use uh, to compete against a Carvana room ship. I mean, do you foresee that there would be a shift? I mean, so I guess first off, listeners, Mike working at Max Digital. How many how many dealers do you work with at Max Digital? About thousands of dealers across the country. Okay, so so Mike works with thousands of dealers. Do you foresee that some of these dealers may move to a model where they will shrink their use? Like, and again, this would be counterintuitive given the fact that new car supply is going to be low. But if if all of a sudden you can lower your costs by saying, well, let's not carry as much inventory in my used cars, maybe – you know, if I am in the market of Carvana, maybe I divest in my used cars and and just pick and just reinvest in my service drive because you're right, Carvana doesn't have the ability to service cars. That those can all go back to the dealer. The dealer then, as opposed to trying to take in those trades and resell them, maybe they are just wholesaling them back to Carvana. So interesting perspective there. I think you know a couple of things you know for for the listeners that to like keep in mind is most dealers pay a good chunk of their bills, you know, 80% or more of their overhead is paid by their service department if they're a good operator. Some people, it's 100% of their overhead is paid by their service department. The service department's number one customer in almost every case, I don't like to use gross generalization, so in, in the vast majority of cases, their number one customer is their used car department. So buying uh, vehicles from auction, taking in trade-ins, running them through the shop, that is the, the service department's number one customer. Now, this is a really interesting point because it ties these models together. And, and I had a discussion online about this as well, is that, you know, people were saying, and you might have seen these posts as well on Facebook or on LinkedIn when somebody posts a picture of a simulcast and they see that it's CarMax Carvana, CarMax Carvana bidding on the mm-hmm, car and paying mm-hmm. way more than the franchise dealers are paying for the car. And the, the point that I brought up was, you know, a lot of these organizations run central reconditioning facilities and they don't treat it like a profit center. The service department is a profit center, parts and services profit center for dealerships. And a lot of times they charge themselves retail or close to retail labor yeah, rates right. for reconditioning, which dramatically increases the cost of the car and then dramatically shrinks your margin of profitability on the sale of the car. So Carvana and CarMax can pay more for that car because their reconditioning costs are less and they're not looking to make money in that department. They're just looking to get a car ready for sale. So there's some kind of conflicting dynamics here that, you know, you can see how this creates an, an interesting scenario. One of the things that I, how I look at Carvana, for instance, is that, you know, they, they are the kind of company that 
d- handles everything primarily in-house and be it if it's the buying of cars, the reconditioning of the cars, the, the logistics and the transporting of the cars to the creating of the brand awareness. Now, this is where I see you and Max Digital being, you know, you could say contenders, competitors, where you may be analyzing their business to saying, hey, what is it that they're doing that is achieving this level of customer experience that you could take to your thousands of dealers? What's your assessment on how you're interpreting their business and how that translates to uh, what you're doing for your dealer clients? Uh, great question. I mean, for years and years, we've we've looked to and admired CarMax. We've hired previous CarMax people. For the last couple of years, we've looked to Carvana and what they do, and and you know, try to figure out how can we help equip, you know, your your average franchise dealer with the ability to do what they do. And um, one of the key things was how well they merchandise their vehicles. And this was kind of a I'll call it a lost art, so to speak in the car business for a long time is people were hyper-focused on stocking the right inventory for the right price, you know, pricing it competitively to move it quickly off the lot. Um, but the merchandising aspect or building value in that vehicle and highlighting the unique, you know, factory packages, options, equipment, providing, you know, excellent photographs um, that help really merchandise that vehicle to a customer who in Carvana's case will never come to a showroom to see that car. Traditionally, dealers had enough information to get somebody to want to call them on the phone, fill out a web lead, and ultimately try to drive them into the showroom so they could check out the vehicle. So kind of counterintuitively, but they wanted to only give them enough to cause them to want to create a lead to then come into the showroom where Carvana said, let me give you all the information you need to make the decision now. And I think, you know, it's been said a couple of times recently is, the industry moved forward about three years and three months because everybody was forced to say, how do we sell cars online? We weren't prepared to do this. We thought this was a passing fad. Now it's the new reality. We have to do this. So I think the focus was immediately on the F and I piece. How do I get, you know, a payment for a customer? How do I get, you know, F and I products? How do I do all of this stuff online for a customer? But we spent a ton of time doing consumer research, you know, talking to thousands of customers every year, observing their, their habits online and how they shop and buy a car. And the, the thing that was missed was that, and, and this is common sense when we say it out loud, is that you need to figure out, is this the right car for me before you click the button that says buy now, right? And if you don't give them enough information to help them determine this is the right car for me, they're going to move on and continue shopping, even if you have all of those payments and F&I products and everything and that ability to you know, deliver a car to them. So that merchandising piece is the key thing that we help equip dealers with is how do you educate the dealer on, you know, does it have the right factory options, equipment, packages? How does that vehicle compare to the market? We give them a link, you know, on their website so that the consumer can educate themselves while they're on that dealer's website to see how does this compare to the market? Because if you don't do that, what are they going to do? They're going to abandon the dealer's website. They're going to go back to the third-party website to do their own research. And then the likelihood that they come back to your dealership is a lot less likely than if you provided them with that information right on your website. So um, it's those types of things that we've focused on, you know, over the last couple of years and, and really have had some success with lately. So uh, to your point, Mike, this actually is, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head here. This is the differentiating point. And certainly what I will keep an eye out 
as I continue to audit myself, the automotive space, and that is the merchandising of vehicles, because you're absolutely right. The merchandising strategy of Carvana is very different than the normal dealership, and the normal dealership presents information in order to convert the customer to submit their information or to visit the store, which goes back to the principles of people, well, I know, I know there's, there, there are the, the arguments and the stats to back up that people still want to go to a dealership to buy a car and, okay, fine, fair. But also embedded in that output is the input that says, well, I as a dealer want to have that customer in my store also. As you move to that other model where if merchandising is now given to the point where you can transact online, that would be the shift that would move the tier three and all the auto retailers to the next level. I'm apprehensive on, or I should say I'm more reluctant to know when that will happen. When do you, when do you think that would happen? I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, government regulations, state regulations that may hinder that. Um, I think absent, you know, some type of catastrophic event like COVID-19 happening, um, this wouldn't even have been a discussion. It just would have never happened. You know, I, I first saw when I was part of my graduate uh, program, um, it was with all folks from the automotive industry at Northwood University. And this was back in 2009, I want to say. I forecasted that, you know, it, within the 2020s, within that decade, we would see the dealership model evolve into more of a test drive and delivery center and less of a, you know, behemoth building where people hang out for hours because back then, I don't know if you remember, we, we saw the trends of people putting in, you know, coffee shops and nail salons and all kinds of crazy stuff in dealerships because it was like, this is this place where you know you're going to come in and spend hours. How do we make it more enjoyable for you versus solving the problem of people don't want to spend hours in the dealership? And when I said that, and I said, look, people are going to either get remote delivery or they're going to come in just for pickup and we're going to do way more of the transaction online. Um, I got laughed at almost in 2009 that most people didn't think that that was even possible or going to happen. And now it, it looks like a, a very plausible reality. Um, if you think we've got, we're in 2020 now, by 2030, I think it's going to look a lot different. If you look at retail in general, and this is the thing that every industry is guilty of. They say, yeah, but this, this is different. It's the car business. Yeah, this is different because we're in New Mexico. You know, it's different over here. You know, retail is retail and, you know, how we do business in the United States is very similar state to state. There's some small differences, but, you know, ultimately when you see more of, you know, these pop-up stores happening rather than these large stores, you see department stores closing in mass, you know, these big multi-story stores where they have all these different brands that you can buy, they're going away. They're moving to the world of online retailing. And I, I think it would be foolish for us to think that we're so insulated here especially after the last 90 days that this isn't going to happen at some point in the next decade where the model is going to shift to be much more online and much more like that test drive and delivery center. Well, let me play the antagonist here. So obviously, I, I, first off, I would side with you. I do think that this, these are different times. This, I, I think the pandemic has not just proved how not maybe not deadly how how impactful a virus can be but it's also psychologically 
changed us where we do want to spend more time at home with our families. Companies are saying that, you know what, it actually is okay to work from home, which means then these big retail spaces may not see the, this traffic ever, ever again. But there are some that would still say, nah, once we find the vaccine in a year, year and a half, everything will go back to normal. For those naysayers, Mike, what, what, do, you, what do you tell them? I mean, we're, we're uh, an ever-evolving convenience culture in general, and the trends were pointing this direction pre-COVID, right? We saw what happened when we had to go this way, and it expedited things. And, and again, I go back to human psychology a little bit, is people don't like to change in general. People don't like to change. Um, and the longer that you've had a, a habit ingrained, the harder it is to change that habit. Um, this threw people off of, their, off of their course a little bit, off of the tracks of their habit. And while it'll be easy to fall back onto that track and into that habit, well, now there's an option, right? Now, use this as an example, um, especially for the demographic that kind of stereotypically people thought would have the hardest time adapting to digital retailing was the older demographic in America, right? These people, they like to come into the dealership. They like to go to the grocery store. They like to go shopping. They like to write paper checks and balance their checkbook, right? All, all of these you know, stereotypes that aren't necessarily always true, but sometimes they are. Um, you know, I'll use my own parents that are, you know, my, my dad's 74, right? Well, he's buying more stuff on Amazon. They're getting groceries delivered from the grocery store and ordering them on their phone. You know, he was in the car business for 40 years and he thought about selling a car to Carvana, right? Hey, I've got an extra car that I don't need. I'm going to sell it to Carvana. I mean, some of these, and I'm not the only one that has these stories, right? But I, I think you've opened up this new world of convenience to people that, you know, as they age, they have a harder time with mobility. It's hard to get in and out of a car for some people as they get older. It's, it's a pain to go there. And if they have health concerns, which we don't see a full light at the end of the tunnel with this yet, you know, it's going to be a, a longer time period for people to get ingrained in this new habit which means it's then going to be harder for them to get back into that old habit. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing from Mike Cavanaugh, Executive Vice President at Max Digital. Mike, we're going to come back to talking about seniors and how they view the automotive space, how they view what their next purchase would be, so forth and so on. I actually want to explore this more with you. Before we do, though, I thought that we can have a little fun. Let's break up the monotony of some of the serious talk. You ready? Sure. So I know you're a big fan of 90s hip hop. I am. I am going to recite for you some lyrics to some 90s hip hop songs, and you have to finish the line. Okay. Ooh. Let's see if I can do it. Let's see. Let's Hopefully see. Hopefully, they're how... all clean. A lot of that 90s hip hop <laughs> isn't appropriate. I don't know. <laughs> I realized that once I had kids and listened to it in the car, and I said, oh, I better turn that down. I don't think well, that's a good one to listen to with yeah, uh, eight year old and three year old. Let's just say this one may be NSFF, not safe for work. Maybe. We'll see. Gotcha. Here you go. You ready? So, again, finish the line. I'm twinking into a whole new era. G-Funk, step to this, I dare ya. Funk on a whole new level. Rhythm is the bass and the bass is the treble. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Nice one. All right. Next one. Cash rules everything around me, cream. 
Get the money. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Wu Tang. Damn. All right. Let's let's do a couple more here. You hit me West Coast and East Coast there. I uh, I, I, I got to cover the whole country uh, here. Oh yeah, I got I, I got I got some tricks up my sleeve here. All right, here we go. All the players came from far and wide, wearing afros and braids, kicking them gangster rides. Now I'm here to tell you, there's a better day. Mm. That's Outcast. I know that's Outcast. I can't finish the lyric. I can I can hear the beat in my head. I can't remember the lyric. It is by Outcast, and it, it is it's the song "Players Ball," and the next line goes. When the ball, when the player ball is happening all day, every day. So that's right. All right. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll, 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 maybe I'll give you one, two more or so towards the very end of the episode here, and let's see how you fare off. Okay. All right. All right, Mike Cavanaugh. Let's 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 talk about your parents or your father specifically, and the older generation that they often are left out of the discussion on what you know how they should be served what are what are their habits my father like yours is very much open now to these ideas of mobility solutions if it's uber if it's ordering groceries i mean it's i'm sure at some point turo will be an option for him what what are you seeing happening in the automotive space, in the automotive retail space that perhaps does start to address the needs of seniors? Uh, so I'm going to point to a, a very large, you know, metropolitan area in New York with this one. And you're probably familiar with Brian Benstock and Paragon Honda and yes. Acura and uh, the, the service pickup and delivery. Right. And this was something that was reserved, you know, years ago for only, you know, premium retail, um, you know, luxury customers right you know you can buy a high-end mercedes-benz or something and they could pick up your your vehicle at work and get it serviced and bring it back um but you know this is going to become the norm i really feel especially as covid is, is present and we saw way more dealers do this over the last several months because they had to if i wanted to generate revenue people are afraid to leave their house um, i need to go there and pick it up so I think, you know, catering to the seniors, again, to somebody that, you know, may or may not want to leave their house, maybe extra paranoid about you know, getting sick or things for the foreseeable future. Um, I think, you know, really focusing on, on how do I make this convenient for older folks, market to those folks as well. Um, that's going to be huge um, in that area is, is service pickup and delivery more than anything. I think, you know, having the ability to make it uh, user friendly on your website and, and testing it with older folks as well that may be a little bit less tech savvy. Um, it's kind of the, you know, less is more approach sometimes, and maybe not less content, but, you know, less buttons, the less clicks that you have, the easier it's going to be to find the information. So, you know, really testing some of these websites, the web providers that are out there with, you know, how easy is this for a, you know, an older person to read even? This is like common sense, basic stuff. Um, but I think that's how we have to focus on you know, catering to these older folks as well. And, and to your point, not leaving them out of the discussion, I think all we heard for years was, the millennials this, the yes, millennials this, right. you know, Gen Z, you know, all this. And it's like, well, what about everybody else? You know, Gen X was kind of like lost. Like, hey, back with these guys. We're focused <laughs> on millennials and, and Gen Z. Gen X is still a huge buying percentage of, of the market. And then the, the baby boomers, especially with luxury vehicles. I mean, you look at the average age of a buyer of a Mercedes and it's like, I think it's 57 years old. You know, so you've got whole brands that your core demographic is baby boomers, right? So you really need to focus on 
you know, how do I cater to these folks? And, and they just uh, decided to retire their subscription model. You probably saw that at Mercedes-Benz. Um, you know, and that was geared on trying to acquire younger customers into the mix. And they had, you know, mixed results. They didn't disclose a lot. But, you know, your, your demographic is what your demographic is to a certain point. And I think you want to try to figure out, you know, how do I capture more of that core demographic, you know, other than just how do I bring in other demographics that maybe I don't have, but how do I get better penetration into that group of, of customers as well? And when you think about, you know, what CPO programs look like right now, certified pre-owned programs look like, you know, that involve, you know, roadside assistance and some of these other things, you know, free oil changes, these CPO programs kind of evolve as well into, you know, free pickup and delivery for service appointments, you know, within 25 miles or whatever that may be um, to help capture a larger share of the market, especially with older folks. Yeah. The, the focus on millennials over the last decade now in terms of their buying experience and trying to basically create the model that accommodates the millennial persona in hopes that everybody else will adapt. I think the, one factor that is turning that model upside down is you can make an argument now that especially in this economic recession, that the millennials are the ones that aren't going to have the money per se to afford cars and cars probably of 30,000 or more, but it is going to be your baby boomers. It is going to be your Gen Xers, which are we, are we considered, we're Gen Xers, are we not? I don't know. I, I may be a millennial. Depends on how you cut it. Oh, so I don't know. Oh, probably a Gen oh, sorry. We're going to have to end this discussion then. I didn't know I was talking to a millennial. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Maybe but I, I like to think I'm younger than I am. I don't know. <laughs> well, you certainly are. I mean, no, but I, I do think that at, at some point I would like to see, I mean, I think this goes back to actually your point earlier about the whole merchandising. I mean, if, if, if all of a sudden that small shift happens with dealers, that if, if, if merchandising a vehicle online is somehow internalized to them, I think that will then reflect outwardly in all the other services in all, in their entire operation. That's that, you know, that would be what the dealer is all about, you know, be it the, the sale of cars, the delivery of cars, the way that cars are serviced. I mean, hell, possibly even the ability to embed in, for instance, use cars, a, um, uh, a dongle to track the the telematics of the vehicle. I mean, all of a sudden, what if, you know, we know that seniors usually have some sort of watch or something in case they have a heart attack and they fall downstairs. I mean, what if like you have these types of devices that are also in vehicles that can aid in the health of, of drivers? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know, there's, there's some basic things too that I think um, you can kind of keep in mind that's important to people is even through the search of, of trying to find the right vehicle is, you know, again, we'll go back to people are kind of creatures of habit and people are often looking for similar vehicles, you know, vehicles like mine, like, hey, I've always liked this Oldsmobile that I have driven for years. What's a similar vehicle? And using Oldsmobile as kind of a stereotypical example. Yeah, you're of not a millennial. Person's car, cause, <laughs> no, because my, my, my grandparents drove an Oldsmobile 88 when I was a kid. But, um, you know, if you're used to driving a certain type of vehicle and maybe they don't make that vehicle anymore or maybe you're looking at other brands whether this is third-party websites or whether this is a dealer's website to have the ability to say like, Hey, how, how, how do I help present this customer with vehicles that are like the ones that they're used to driving that have the same trunk space or the same leg room or the same kind of gas mileage. You know, my, my father-in-law lives in New York 
and he, he drove to Michigan recently and he was, you know, bragging about his gas mileage. He just, I switched him over from a, um, a BMW X5 to a Ford Explorer hybrid and he loves it, but he was bragging oh, about his gas mileage and, you know, some things that some people may not be as excited about, you know, maybe this older demographic who may, might be on more of a fixed income, they may care more about these things. So how do you highlight those things to help make it easier for them you know, throughout, throughout their shopping process? Too? You know, there's, there's a, a metric that I am looking to hopefully bring more attention to. And you bring up a point that with your father-in-law, for instance, but I imagine this would be indicative of a lot of seniors. And that is, well, you know, now because I am on a fixed income, sure, if I can get the luxury car, I'll get it. But perhaps the, you know, the gas mileage is still something of consideration. And so everyone still tends to look at cars, or at least when they buy cars, a big consideration is the gas mileage. There's another metric that I believe is actually even more valuable. And and I don't have the full ability to articulate it, but are you familiar with the cost per mile metric? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Th- I do wonder how much of a transition in the psychology of buyers and drivers, if you did start to focus on the cost per mile, because I do think that if we are to subscribe to the idea that the world is going to be a lot different now in, in you know, post COVID and you may not see as much traffic on the roads now or many cars on the roads. It doesn't mean people won't have cars. I I still think people will have cars, but driving on roads now, it might not be that big of a deal anymore. And so then if all of a sudden you're to quantify your driving in a given month and you look at it, look at it in the overall context, overall context of your finances, I do wonder if that cost per mile metric starts to shift the psychology a little bit that says, you know, what, maybe I should be looking at cars that produce X, you know, 20 cents uh, per mile, uh, 30 cents per mile. And then they internally can can say that, oh, that means I'm going to be driving X distance. It's going to fulfill these grocery standards that have this cost and so forth and so on. I think, you know, if, if we want to see more widespread adoption of, you know, electric vehicles, I think that's going to be a key cost, right? And, and I'll, I'll use a, an example, not with an electric vehicle, but uh, something that I did back in 2008. Let's see, it was right around 2008. Remember when gas hit five plus dollars a mm. gallon, which is super high, highest it's ever been in the country. Well, at that time, I, I had uh, gotten a, a Jeep Commander with a Hemi, right? Oh, it seems really yeah, like eight miles per gallon. You do that. <laughs> Right. Well, at the time I could have gotten, you know, I I was a Jeep guy for a long time and I could have gotten one of those really small, you know, I think it was a Jeep Patriot at the time. Like the fuel economy was just great on this car, but the lease payment on this car was substantially higher than the commander because they were trying to incentivize moving these commanders because they were like a boat anchor, right? Like they just couldn't get rid of them because they were a V8 Hemi and gas was 547 uh, a gallon at the time. Well, I did that kind of cost per mile and total cost of ownership myself, you know, on the back of a manila folder. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a way bigger, way nicer vehicle, and it's going to cost me less because the lease savings way less. And I think, you know, there's some efforts to do that with electric vehicles, you know, right now. But to standardize that and be able to compare this to say, hey, look, if you're looking at, you know, a, um, a Tesla or you're looking at, you know, a Chevy or whatever it may be, I'll say like that Cybertruck, for instance, compare a Cybertruck to an F-150 or a Chevy 1500, 
maybe you look at that math and even though the retail price is higher in your payments, higher every month, you're like, but I'm going to save all this money on gas on this thing. It may end up being the same, but I think people conceptually have a really hard time doing that because they're so geared around what is the retail price? What is my monthly payment? Those are the deciding factors. The other stuff, it's not that it's too complex or too hard to do, but it's just these other kind of minutia type extra steps that people don't necessarily take into account. At least in mass, they don't. What's um, what, what what is your father and your father-in-law and other seniors you've spoken to? What, what are how do they think about electric vehicles? I don't think they're opposed to it. You know, early on, I want to say it was 2010. Um, I picked up a Ford Fusion Hybrid. And uh, it was the Motor Trend car of the year. And uh, I, I was doing quite a bit of driving at the time. So I wanted to get a vehicle that was really fuel efficient on gas. And I think it was like, you know, 47 miles to the gallon or something at the time. It was really good. And the thing had excellent technology. I've always been a fan of Ford's, you know, interface. That sync system for the last several years has been one of the best, you know, interfaces kind of in, in a vehicle, in my opinion. And I picked up that. And that was when my, my dad got introduced to those hybrid vehicles. He didn't really know what they were all about. But I think once people actually test them out and they can see whether it's a hybrid or an electric vehicle, how much power is in it, you know, that you can still have an exhilarating ride that it's fun to drive, um, you don't really care anymore. And I think the move from, you know, my, my, my parents and that generation that grew up where, you know, almost every car had a V8, right? It was kind of like, well, I didn't even want to drive a V6. I definitely don't want to drive a four-cylinder and an electric motor. That's only in, you know, a weed whacker, right? Like that's not, you know, I, I, I'm not going to put that in the car. But once you get to see, you know, that there's actually a lot of power and they're fun to drive, I think they're a lot more open to it. And hence, you know, my father-in-law who drove, you know, a V8 X5 for the last decade switched over to a hybrid Ford Explorer. And so I think they're a lot more open-minded to it. Now, I think, you know, customer experience type events, you know, marketing to a certain demographic, especially like that, with, you know, come try out our new electric vehicle, come try out our new hybrid vehicle can be a really good way to open people's mind to it, um, to try on these new different vehicles. And I think even from a, a marketing and advertising perspective, to include some of these type of folks in commercials even, it kind of opens people's minds up to, hey, you know, somebody else is trying this, maybe I should too. So I, I think they're a lot more open than what a lot of people think. And if you ask somebody in a survey, you do some type of consumer research, you're going to say, hey, would you prefer to drive a a gasoline engine or a hybrid engine or a gasoline engine or an electric vehicle, um, they're going to default to what they know by chance. But if you let somebody experience it um, and then you ask them, what did you prefer? They might say, wow, this thing was really fast because there's no hesitation within the larger motor. Now, this is a lot better than what I thought it was. You were mentioning marketing and advertising. Advertising on social media looks like that's going a bit awry, specifically on Facebook. How How's Max Digital looking at advertising with your dealer partners and what you're uh, advocating on advertising on Facebook's platform, at least in the month of July? You know, I've had some talks with Facebook myself around different things that we can do, and I think they're trying to get in more involved in it themselves versus um, a lot of the third-party providers that are out there, so doing direct sales to dealers to do this. So I think part of the design with, you know, how things are going, I should say, part of how things are going is by design a little bit right now. You know, from our perspective, it's just how do we ensure that the dealer's vehicle content, everything from the photos to the descriptions to you know, the actual content on the vehicle is displayed property, 
properly in, in any manner, in any media, in, uh, in any form, whether that's on social media, on a dealership's website, whatever that may be. Um, so we're, we're kind of agnostic to where, where the data shows up. We just want to make sure that it's there and it's, and it's quality and it's accurate when it gets there. Um, but I, I do think that social media has been a powerhouse to drive traffic for years. And it is, to your point, going a little bit awry right now. So people have to be a little bit creative about, you know, how they, how they reach their customers. Um, and this has always been the hard way is people buy from people. Um, people buy from people with everything that they do. People shop at places that they shop because of the people and the experience. This goes back to customer experience, right? And so if you have quality people, you can retain your employees and those employees do a great job of following up with, you know, their customers and they do a great job of asking for referrals and they engage with their customers on social media, you know, that's not going awry, right? Some of the, what you pay for, and, and the generic marketing type things, those are going awry, but the folks that have invested in their people and their people have invested in their customers and truly built a relationship, not just a transactional relationship, I mean, that, that doesn't fail, right? Whether that's facilitated through social media or through phone calls or, or you know, birthday cards, right? It's the people that have been good at that. You look at some of the top salesmen in the world at Audi Rita, right? And that, that's uh, in Dearborn, Michigan here. You know, he keeps a good relationship with his customers and he gets referrals. When I sold cars, I was a 40 plus car a month guy every single month before we had CRMs. So I'm definitely not a millennial now, but we didn't even have CRMs. Well, how right? do we know it's true? And, if you didn't, I, if I you didn't have CRMs back then, how do we know, how do we know it's true? We, we, we can't validate that. We did have Outlook calendars, right? So I was able to actually take, you know, outlooks and I, I kept everybody's notes in there and I would move them forward, you know, one month or three months and just give somebody a call or, or send them an email, just check in, make sure everything's going good. But it's like, if you train your people, you invest in your people and you really get them focused on take care of our customers, right? Always take care of our customers, care about them after the sale. They're not just a means to make a commission. You know, they, they are your customers and, you know, you should want to take care of them that business model doesn't fail ever, right? And that's where you build value in, I get all my cars from Mike, right? Oh, you know what, you need a new car, you need to go talk to Mike, he's great. He'll make sure it's super easy for you. You know, that's that's where the investment needs to happen. And why a lot of people don't do that is because it's not easy. It's not easy and you can't buy it. You have to actually work hard and, and be diligent with that for a long period of time before that's actually successful. So let me ask you this though, because I I would agree that the car business in a lot of ways has been built on the idea that people buy from people. As we were talking about, about earlier though, Carvana is the model that kind of destroys that people buy from people philosophy. And you know, then we when we take a look at also the merchandising strategy and 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 also the fact that arguably retailers may not have the same level the same quantity of a workforce so sure you may keep your your top tier sales guys that have a 30 year client list but as we move forward that's that's those are going to be very far and few between how how do you reconcile then the people buy from people model against the this new online buying Carvana model? That's an excellent question. And it's something that I've spoken about before as well is that, 
behind all of this technology at Carvana or Groom or Shift or anywhere that you may buy a car online is a lot of a lot of people, a lot of great people, right? And what goes into the experience has a lot to do with the people, not just the technology. The technology is a tool that makes things easier, right? And the experience has a lot to do with, you know, how well does, does that whole experience function? The delivery of that vehicle, you know, so when primarily the person that a, a consumer would interface with was, you know, the salesperson, they would, you know, handle the phone up, they would, you know, talk to them, they came in for their appointment, deliver the car, all that stuff. You know, now you've got a person at delivery and I follow some of the folks at Carvana on social media that deliver cars. And when you see how excited they are about the process and how they're posting pictures with their customers and how cool it is, you better believe that if they don't say, hey, go buy a car from Mike, they're going to say, you got to try Carvana. I had this great girl. Her name was, you know, Kristen. And she just was so excited to give me my car. You know, they share it on social media. The, the whole experience thing goes in there. So if you've got great people at every step of the process, especially when things go wrong, you know, if somebody expects to get their car delivered in two days and it takes five days, you know, how compassionate and empathetic is that person on the phone that makes that customer, you know, puts, puts their mind at ease and helps manage expectations. You know, what, what do you do to go above and beyond when something bad happens to make up for that poor experience? Do you do something else, you know, that helps make, make them feel above and beyond with the experience? So I still think that while it may not be the same relationship as, you know, Mike is my salesperson, people buy from people, your people, even in a digital experience, are the difference. And in most of these cases, even with Carvana sales, there is human interaction prior to the sale via the phone, and there is human interaction at the point of delivery every single time. Well said. Well said. So until we get the drones dropping cars, we 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 we, uh, we still have to care a lot about that. Too. Drones dropping cars, man. That if if this if drones are dropping cars, Mike, I don't think that's going to be a good thing. I think this will take you back to your military days and like Humvees being dropped from these aircraft carriers. So <laughs> I don't know if that'll yeah, be a good. That would be a little interesting. <laughs> Well, Mike, um, I'll, I'll give you one more song uh, to end the show here, but tell us uh, what you got going on at Max Digital. We've got a lot of stuff going on right now. So, I mean, we're rolling out our new um, inventory management platform that we call Fluid. So really making it easier for, for dealers to, you know, price and appraise vehicles, find the right vehicles for their customers that are going to sell quickly, uh, make it a really easy experience. And then Max BDC is our, our newest tool that's out right now that really, you know, helps equip your team to be product experts, you know, not just on your, you know, new cars that they've got training on, but on your off-brand vehicles, you know, your pre-owned vehicles, really help provide a better customer experience, help them build, you know, that shopping cart, so to speak, of if I'm looking at three different vehicles and I'm looking for vehicles like mine, so to speak, how do I, how do I help facilitate that process? So that's a lot of the tools that we're doing right now. We're actually giving away free trials to dealers, right now for that tool and we've seen great adoption over COVID-19 with that. Yeah, that's, I'm Asian. I'm cheap. I like free. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mike Cavanaugh, Executive Vice President at Max Digital. And Mike, uh, people can find you on LinkedIn. Is that Would that be the primary area? Yeah, LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm on both. But LinkedIn, I'm on all the time. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Great. And I'll give you, let's see if we can end this uh, episode on a good note here. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. We're JJ Fad and we're here to rock. Rhymes like ours could never be stopped. See, there's three of us and I know we're fresh.
You stopped me, man. Party I'm rockers, non-stoppers, and our names are deaf. Oh, JJ Fat, Supersonic. Although I think this the, is more, more like late eighties. Let's say that again. I'm more into the gangster rap. Gangster, <laughs> you got to give me the Dr. Dre, the Snoop Dogg. You got to get give me in that that world, and I can I can sing. Oh uh, uh, well, song. then th- these are de- those will definitely not be uh, safe for children or work. No, probably not. All right, Mike, good to chat to you. Good good to chat with you, my friend. We'll uh, we'll see you again soon. Listeners, as we end every episode, cheers, prost, lachaim, kipis, nastravi, salud, kampai, mabruk, tutsins, gambe, yamas, nastrovie, vo, and salute to the customer experience. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode with us. We love having you along on our journey. I'm your co-host, Kelly Cruz, alongside Dennis Wisco. It has been three years, if you can believe it, and there's been a lot of changes over these last few years. Uh, We also have a lot of great new things coming to you through our various social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Five different social media channels all bringing great content to you, and you can see things such as new inspirational thought leaders that we were meeting out at various conferences like the Women in Automotive, cup holder reviews, uh, new cars that are coming to you. We are so happy to have you along. So again, please continue to follow us. Let us know if you have any questions and we will be back with you soon. Yes.